What's up, world? I'm Matt Newberg from Hungary, and this is The Feed. Each episode, we'll dive into conversations with the industry insiders who are leveraging technology to shape the way we eat. On today's episode of The Feed, the Hungry Trends community sat down with Stephen Klein, co-founder and CEO of Hyphen, an automated make line for salads, bowls, tacos, and burritos, reducing total restaurant labor costs by nearly 50%. Thanks to its pricing model that charges restaurants as low as 70 cents per meal, the startup is transforming the fixed cost of kitchen labor into a variable AWS for restaurant labor model. We'll chat about what sets Hyphen apart from other articulated robot startups, how it plans to expand into new categories and the future creator economy around food as the marginal cost of production falls to pennies per dish. And to be fully transparent, I am lucky to call myself a small angel investor in Hyphen, which has raised over $34 million to date. All right, I'm very excited to be joined today by Stephen Klein. He's the CEO of Hyphen, an automated make line solution designed to make operating a restaurant or food brand more profitable and efficient. Prior to Hyphen, Stephen was the VP of operations at Cafe X and was an early employee of Instacart, working in operations and user research. He even co-founded a text-to-deliver frozen yogurt concept while he was an undergraduate at the University of Arizona. Stephen, welcome aboard. Thanks for having me, Matt. It's great to be here. I had to uh, put that last tidbit in there because <laughs> my alma mater of UPenn, my, I think, senior, junior year, I can't remember exactly, I was doing a text-to-deliver burger concept called Newbie Man Burger Shack um, <laughs> with my friend Corey Mullis. Yeah, that was a fun time. We were definitely not operating legally. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, I know we share that in common while you were doing it by the books, but I, w- I definitely want to get into your background kind of at some of these early uh, food tech companies. You were, you've been in the space before it was trendy to do so. So I would love to hear kind of the thread there of, you know, your time at Cafe X and Instacart. And then kind of maybe from there, we can talk about um, the early days of Hyphen, which is was formerly known as Ono. Awesome. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So, you know, I've, I've kind of always been obsessed with food in the food industry, as, as you can probably tell. Even like growing up, my dad would, you know, make these delicious dishes kind of inspired by his travels. We just had like great conversation and food around the dinner table. Um, and then as you alluded to, you know, started the text to deliver frozen yogurt shop in college. It was a lot of fun, very humbling experience. And then eventually joined Instacart. Uh, in 2014 after they raised their Series A. So wore a lot of hats there from launching and scaling markets to doing a lot of user research on the shopper app. So the app that you never see as a consumer, but it was a a lot of fun to work on. It's very utility-based and and, and it's pretty fun uh, to work on. And then, of course, VP of Ops at Cafe X, really where I saw the power of food service automation firsthand. But like after, you know, like working at these companies, I kind of had this like inflection point in my own life where like I wanted to do something more radically transformable with food service and really empowered by automation. I just felt like something was missing from my work. And so I set out to do that with Ono Food Co, as you kind of alluded to, and kind of had this vision that if we put a fully robotic kitchen in the back of a food truck, we can make healthy and delicious food as ubiquitous and as accessible as as fast food. And so with like a team, we set out on that mission with Dano Fukupa, my co-founder, in about 15 months uh, with five people, we launched the first, you know, fully robotic food truck in L.A. County 
things were going great, right? This was like January 2020, serving uh, downtown LA on the on the weekdays, and then um, in Abbott Kinney in Venice on the week weekends, serving thousands of customers. Great, great NPS. About ready to go out to raise our seed round, and then COVID hit a few months later, um, and it was like, you know, holy shit, what are we going to do? Where we were operating became ghost towns overnight, and so we just made the difficult decision just to seize operations, go into cockroach mode. And then just kind of like brood for a little bit, right? It, it sucked. It felt like getting, you know, kicked in the stomach for for a second there. But, you know, at the end of the day, we still loved what we were building and still were impassioned by, you know, this broader industry. And, you know, COVID really hadn't changed that one bit. So after we brooded for a few more weeks, you know, we decided to leverage our network within the industry and focus on helping restaurants survive and then thrive during the pandemic. You know, it hasn't been easy, right? The pandemic was a system shock to the world. And really the restaurant industry has hit the hardest, but because we co-developed our platform with our customers, which we can talk about, and we really have a tenacious team of individuals who really share the same vision as I do, we thrive. So today at Hyphen, our automated make line is really the only thing a kitchen needs to make and fulfill orders. And then tomorrow our platform will be really the only thing a restaurant needs to run their entire operation, like soup to nuts. We really want to be like the system of record for the kitchen. Wow, there's a lot to dive in in there. Um, I'm really excited to unpack it all. But like before we do that, I kind of wanted to talk about this space. So like initially, you know, around the time you started, I, I was not really paying that close attention to the robotics space because I'd seen some of these you know startups kind of come and go, or you know they were kind of struggling yeah. to gain traction. You know, we had Creator doing burgers, Spice doing salads and you know bowls, and Itza doing salads and these were all kind of vertically integrated concepts where not only do you have to deal with like the challenges of building a durable restaurant brand that consumers love which is more of an art than a science i think yeah but you also have to nail the tech and you have to create this entire end-to-end experience and mix food and tech in a way that's like kind of oil and water because the people that are really good at building the next sweet green or building the next dig in are from a completely different background as like Tesla and SpaceX and Cafe X and Instacart and all these companies that we see all these founders come from, right? And to get that hybrid approach, it's just super hard to pull off. So I'm just curious to hear from you, like what happened there with this? And and, and maybe you've seen some of this with, with Cafe X as, as also like a vertically integrated coffee startup and kind of the business model and like kind of the challenges um, and that kind of era of those kind of V1 robotic startups? Yeah, it's a great question. I could do like an individual postmortem, but I'd <laughs> say like, you know, the broader bucket is they're all consumer, right? And I, I think, you know, we wanted to do that as well, right? I own a food co, you know, make no mistake, because you could have a lot of value capture, right? If you can really vertically integrate from components to cuisine, right? But building a food brand, like you alluded to, is just a slog, right? Sweetgreen took, I think, like a decade to get to 100 stores or 100 units. Chipotle took about the same. And like, honestly, like when I like look back at Ono Food Co., I kind of like laugh because it was really an exercise in hubris to try to be the, the technology platform and the brand itself, as you kind of alluded to, right? Like, you don't just need a p- big piggy bank and patient capital. Like, you need like an actual like brand approach. And like, if you're building your brand around like robotics, like, good luck, right? Like you and I are probably like some of the few people that would actually go to see that, right? And that novelty even for us fades pretty quickly. So it's not just like patient capital, the piggy bank, you, you really need that strong brand. And, you know, take about a decade to really kind of see the uh, the efficiencies of your, you know, vertical stack. So that that's kind of like the broader category, you know, Cafe X a little bit different, because um, they used articulated arms, and I can kind of talk about the different 
approaches to automation, purpose built, like what we do in Spice, mm. Eatsa, not Eatsa, but Spice Creator and Picnic are doing versus kind of articulated arms like what Miso Robotics or Cafe X is doing. Um, but that's right. kind of another bifurcation that might be worth discussing. Yeah, totally. I saw that, you know, Miso is now doing stuff, you know, working with, was it Chipotle? Yeah. What was the specific function that, that Miso's? So it's like Miso is basically going after like these very specific things now. It started as like, I guess, Flippy, the burger flipper, but that's now become more of a f- French fryer. And now that's now they're now testing something else with Chipotle. I guess, yeah, talk about articulated arms and kind of like why you didn't go that route and kind of maybe break it down for like for the layman out there like myself who don't, yeah. who don't understand all these robotic terms. Yeah, happy to. And, you know, I guess I'm somewhat of an expert now that it's been like, you know, seven years or so. But, you know, Daniel Fakupa, my co-founder, has been doing this for a decade, you know, over a decade, 13 years plus. You know, he installed hundreds of arms across California uh, from, you know, Tesla's Model X and S lines to SpaceX. And we would have used articulated arms if it made sense. But I, I think when people kind of first look at, at using that as, as kind of their product approach, you know, it, it seems like the white knight solution, right? You can just very easily program it. It's easy to get up and running and, and, and started, but it starts to break down at scale, right? They're, they're very expensive. Even, you know, Tesla doesn't get, you know, great economies of scale on an arm. And then they're just much slower compar- compared to like what we do, right? It'd take about 16 arms to get through the throughput of one of our make lines, take up about a small apartment in terms of footprint, about 400 square feet, you know, so, you know, San Francisco apartment, and then it costs about (laughs) half a million dollars or $400,000 for that operation or for that setup. And so it just doesn't make sense from both a cost perspective, a scale perspective, and then just a footprint, right? Like, as as you know, like these kitchens are very, very small, right? And the space is super precious. And if you have to have like this cage around your robotic arm, like you're, you know, you're eating into very, very valuable space. So those Mm -hmm. are kind of like the broader reasons we didn't go after that to where like Mm -hmm. purpose belt is highly optimized, right? It's no different than like a dishwasher today a dishwasher is just like a robot that works and is reliable right like that's kind of where we want to go so you know gen one today is really a robot gen two tomorrow will be kind of a machine but gen three will really be an appliance like that's kind mm-hmm. of where we're resolving to in, in terms of product i love that yeah the appliance kind of analogy Can we talk about a little bit about like the pricing model of these companies because i think like they've also kind of pivoted a lot on trying to figure out the right model that, you know, when you're dealing with restaurants, you know, there's only so many units you can sell to, you're kind of capped there. So you sell this, this hardware once, like how do you make money on services and that sort of thing? Like, yeah, what, what is Miso's business model and, and other companies like Miso? Yeah. Yeah. So you could sell equipment, right? But I, I think most food service automation companies are, are really focused on kind of ARR and recurring revenue. And so like, uh, I think Picnic does, you know, $4,000 a month for three right. ingredients. Um, so that's another way to charge, right? But our customers have like 60 ingredients, I think on average. So that's about what, $30,000 or $500,000 a, a year to use one of our systems if we charge like that. So w- wow. we, we devise kind of a pay per use model where each time a meal is made or assembled, we charge something, right? And that can be anywhere from like 15 cents, like one of our customers that does like five to 15,000 cells a day, it's a very large co-packer uh, for a grocer or $1.50 mm-hmm. if you're doing a much lower volume you know, right. uh, production. So it kind of, it kind of you know, can kind of change. You're obviously paying more if you're doing lower volume and you're paying less if you're doing more volume. That's kind of how we, we think about yeah. it. 
No, and I, this is what really drew me to the company because, and, and I called it the AWS of restaurant labor for, yeah. you know, all the technical people out there, you know, very elastic kind of pricing around that level of demand for your restaurant, right? Um, like you, like you alluded to, like something with low traffic is going to get higher variable cost of labor, yeah. essentially displaced labor through this model versus a high throughput concept is going to pay, you know, if, you know, 30 cents or whatever it was the on, on the lower end, right? So I kind of want to dive into, let's talk about the current challenges facing some of your prospective customers and, and existing customers in the fast casual industry and how you're able to help them really solve the labor problem when we look at make line labor and then we look at the overall four wall kind of unit economics of the restaurant. Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I, I think... We could actually bucket two kind of broader issues that have always been plaguing the industry. The one is obviously labor. The second one, though, I think is worth mentioning is like order defects or inaccuracies because like food waste matters, but so does like refunds, right? That that also mm. contributes to food waste. And then, you know, second order effects like, you know, customer churn and attrition. But with labor, it's, you know, it's it's kind of the COVID reasons, right? You know, there's, I think, 1.5 million job openings, so about 2x uh, more than than pre-pandemic levels. And then like the average employee tenure, even if you can fill all those roles, is like seven, eight weeks. So it just becomes very cost prohibitive to properly train and, and onboard staff, which you know leads to more order defects. And then the third thing that's probably like non-obvious issue for us at least that we're solving is really like you alluded to, providing elasticity to labor. So labor is inelastic, right? It's very hard to flex up or down based on demand. And a restaurant does about 80% of their sales in about a th- two to three hour period, right? And so that's usually lunch and dinner. And, and that just means that staff is underutilized, you know, well over 50% of the time it, when it's not peak time. And nobody's going to work mm-hmm. a two or three hour shift, especially in this market. So we're solving for that. But the second bucket, kind of the order defects bucket, it's like, I, I think every meal that's delivered to a door, like 20 to 24% of, of those meals have something wrong with them. Right. And and that's really, really, really bad, especially uh, where we are today, where everybody's mostly ordering digitally. And then it just, you know, leads again to customer churn and attrition. It really doesn't matter, like, how good your brand is or how great your recipe was supposed to be. If you got the wrong thing, you're not coming back. Hmm. And then the last thing I, I, I think probably worth mentioning is like portion accuracy, which is a little bit non-obvious to most folks. But, uh, you know, if you've been to Chipotle, you've probably seen this where like one day your, your burrito's like stuffed to the gills and the next day it's anemic. It's because it's like very hard to portion black beans and, you know, salsa and, you know, rice and all of this. So we help with that. I, I think we did a study with our customers early on where we found that meals were over portioned by about 15%. So again, that leads to food waste. It's obviously great for the customer in some ways, but it also just, you know, it's really hard to make the, uh, the business model work when your cogs are now 40% when they used to be 35 that's, uh, I love how you put the overstuffing and anemic uh, burritos. I definitely <laughs> uh, have seen that before. So, I mean, yeah, when I walk into Chipotle, I see two things happening. Um, sorry, not Chipotle, but Sweet Green. They have a dedicated make line in the back for uh, all the off-prem orders, right? Which is obviously the majority of their sales. And a lot of that is coming in through their own app and as well as some third party. And then in the front, you have like like one or two people who are just like dealing with the, the customers that are walking in organically, which is obviously coming back. So I'm curious, like if we could dive in a little bit deeper into like 
what that looks like with hyphen and then like what are the percentage uh, like what, what does this unlock as far as like restaurant level economics right as far for this industry if we look at kind of like the benchmark and where someone could get to using this tack as far as you know profitability how much can you increase the profitability of a, a specific unit yeah great great question and i actually want to touch on the um you know digital line and in-person line at, at some point too because I, I think it'd be fun to kind of chat about our product approach and kind of how it fits in mm-hmm. um but yeah we save about 78 percent on labor so you know you can get you know the work of four to five people for the price of one is kind of how to think about it you know and and, and that's pretty significant right you know our, our customers aren't doing like three to five percent margins they're doing like around 10 to 15 percent margins so we we generally increase you know that ebitda margin by you know almost 50%, you know, if it's 15, 10, 15%, we're going to increase it, you know, 20 to 23% uh, mm-hmm. with labor. And then again, food waste, right? Like the portion accuracy and the order defects, like we're saving a lot on the margin there as well. And mm-hmm. um, so we, we measure that and, you know, charge for that accordingly. Got it. So yeah, let's dive into that uh, kind of experience and, and inside the four walls of what this is going to look like when yeah. it's actually live, right? There is a video, I think it was on your website, and it kind of shows this like kind of modern day. I think this may have been, I guess this was during the pandemic you shot this. It was like yeah. this like kind of like urbanite, like walking around San Francisco. Like she opens up an app. It looks kind of like DoorDash or something. Is it like a little nebulous? <laughs> and then it's like, okay, order this. And then like the robot starts making the salad or the, the make line, yeah. you know, goes down the make line. It starts dispensing everything in like a radial pattern. It looks beautiful. Yeah. Like it was made with love and care. And then it like comes up this like, elevator type of thing and it like pops up with an order chit and it's like you know then it's like sealed with like a plastic lid and then it like gets put onto a shelf and then like you know the worker walks in to this restaurant and you know like the tech worker person and then she grabs it off the shelf and then like boom her sounds like freshly made she didn't really talk to anyone she didn't deal with anything she just like literally walked down the street in five minutes and picked up her lunch and then went back to her desk and was able to save, you know, a half hour off of her day because she didn't have to wait in the long line. Yeah. But let's let's dive into like the experience from like a consumer facing standpoint. And then let's also talk about from like the restaurant ops side on the, you know, front of house, you know, what that all looks like. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So just like taking a step back, like, you know, one of our values at Hyphen is like build with empathy. And, and I, you know, I, I hate, you know, talking about values publicly like this, but, you know, it it really does matter to us, you know, and and a lot of our employees, whether they're on, you know, the the product team or otherwise have either, you know, been in the food service industry in a lot of ways, or even run their own restaurant. Our VP of software actually uh, started his own restaurant in the early 2000s. So like, even he had that humbling experience. And I think, you know, that starts to show up on our product in very subtle ways. Um, small, but I think very different ways. And most notably is the make line, which you alluded to. And it it's really designed to be a one-to-one swap or replacement of a traditional make line. So that thing that you see at like a Chipotle Subway or your local salad shop. And so basically we can go into a store and, and basically swap out their existing make line with our make line. And then we're increasing throughput by, you know, orders of magnitude, about 350 meals an hour without taking up any additional space. Wow. Some customers do put it in the back, but a lot of them just like it in the front because you can still have a person on the line, you know, tending to in-person orders, helping mom and dad order for the first time. But as soon as somebody wants to order on their mobile device or, you know, via delivery, drive-through, increasingly QR code orders, we can make that, right? The guest experience matters less if, if the only interaction you're having with uh, is, 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 you know, 
via a digital device. But I also think like the, the manual line on top is not just important for like brand reasons and kind of, you know, hospitality reasons. It's also a fail safe, right? Like contrary to like what a lot of people say in food service automation, like robots do get sick. It's called downtime. <laughs> like no robot is 100% reliable 100% of the time. And so when we have that manual line, it kind of works like an escalator. Like when an escalator goes down, it becomes stairs. Like it sucks mm. when an escalator breaks down, but you can still do what you want it to do. If <laughs> our robot was to go down, you know, it's at parity with what the restaurant's already used to. And so, you know, we don't have to worry about lost revenue or, you know, bad customer experiences because we have that fail safe in place mm-hmm. kind of, you know, embedded in the product. So that's, that's kind of how we think about the design. Yeah. And so what is this going to look like as far as like the future for human, like the human interaction oh, with yeah. our, our restaurant, right? So it's like, you know, everyone talks about like automation is freeing up you know, like these, these very mundane tasks that like no one really wants to do. And this is part of the challenge of the labor shortage, which is like, okay, after the initial early days of the pandemic, when, you know, restaurant workers were essential, they really didn't, they just got like a, a pat on the back, like, good job. Like you were essential, but like, we didn't really do anything to like help them. And now we have still these same, like really mundane, like laborious tasks, right. That they have to do. So now Everyone's talking about like, okay, well, in every industry, like automation will help free up these workers so they could be like more creative and do tasks that require a little bit more thought to them and and things that are like more creative and rewarding. Talk a little bit about like what this eventually will look like as far as like this yin and yang and this approach to like hospitality when you're dealing with automation. Yeah, that's that's a great question. So like, you know, I'll answer in, in reverse, like how, how does that experience look for the customer? Like they don't know, right? Like the, the meal's just ready. It's on time. It's what they ordered and it's, it's fresh. Right. But like you said, it does unlock a lot uh, for the staff within the kitchen, right? There's a lot of things that staff could be doing if they're not tending to the line. And so we have, a, you know, we kind of think about a lot of our software as like, you know, autopilot for the kitchen operation where like, you know, because the make line is fully instrumented and it has, you know, really ingredient data down to the gram, we can use that data to kind of nudge people when we need help, right? And so one example of that is like the backsplash display that you've probably seen on the website. It's kind of like a fuel gauge on your car, but instead of like, how many miles until you're out of gas, it's how many meals until like you're out of cherry tomatoes. And that's because like runners don't have to like yell over at the grill, you know, like, or, you know, like, like you do at a Chipotle and say like, you know, we need more black beans or we need more chicken. Like they, they just know that they need to get that refilled and then get it. And then the, the, the line cook or the food prep person has their own scheduler and they get nudged about what food to prep next as well as how much based on that real-time inventory. So the whole operation kind of works like a choreographed dance where like everybody's kind of just like moving in concert and there's just like less chaos in the kitchen because we can kind of automate or like help in ways beyond just the actual hardware product, mm-hmm. if, if that makes sense. Yeah, we, we've seen like kind of V1 of this with like some of those early companies you spoke about, right? Like Spice had a, a store or two in Boston Eats had a presence in New York and I think some other places and creator was an SF. But like, what is this going to look like over time? We think about humans interacting with restaurant retail and how they're going to be greeted and taken care of and what things that were also tedious for the customer as far as like, you know, waiting in line and all all these other things and how they're going to order, you know, how are those problems going to be solved through a system like Hyphen? 
Yeah, yeah. I think there's an important distinction to make before I kind of answer that question, which is, you know, in my opinion, like the restaurant experience is going to get really binary. It, it kind of already is, right? Like there's times when you want to have these types of conversations and you want to go to a fine dining restaurant, be waited on, have a delicious dish and like just have this awesome ambiance as you're like eating and enjoying, you know, your conversation. And I think mm-hmm. like that's not going anywhere. Like that will always be around. But I think, you know, fast casual and fast food, pretty much anything else will just be, you know, digital and, and be much quicker to get, right? And so mm-hmm. what I mean by that is like, you know, pickup will become ubiquitous, right? So food will be where the customer is or where they're going. And that could be, you know, via mobile kitchen, like what we try to do at Ono Food Co. Or it could be, you know, those Amazon-like lockers that, you know, are outside of a neighborhood bodega. Um, so like, w- regardless of where you get your food or how you order your food, whether it's to a door, it's going to be within a block away from where you live and work. And then I, I think that like, you know, food will just become more personal too because of automation and just because customers want more customized options, right? Like they want to be able to kind of really, you know, cater their their cuisine to kind of their nutritional preferences or dietary needs. So I, I kind of think like if you, if you take like that secular trend and you kind of pair that with the explosion of digital orders, and then you kind of think about, you know, really like the benefits of automation, you kind of get to a world where it looks like Shopify in a lot of ways, right? Um, mm. and, and what I mean by that is like, once we've saturated the market, and this is kind of getting to your AWS comment, like once we've saturated the market across the country, the cost of producing food is like near zero, right? Uh, the marginal cost, I should say, right? Kind of like AWS and cloud storage. Because all we're really paying for is electricity and maintenance once we've, you know, really mm-hmm. built out that infrastructure. And so we can kind of do what, you know, Shopify did with their fulfillment network for merchants, where basically you have kind of a cottage industry of a whole bunch of brands that are hyper-personal and catered to kind of a, a very specific customer, right? So, you know, if, if back in the CPG days, like if you wanted sunglasses, you know, you went to like Sunglass Hut. Now you can go to like, you know... Warby Park, if you want to choose, you go to Foot Locker. Now you go to like StockX or Allbirds, right? Like I, I mm-hmm. think that like that will start to look very similar for the food categories where like you'll still have the experiences, you know, where people really want to promote their brand. But, you know, if you're ordering any kind of off-premise solution, it's going to be automated when it's delivered to your door or, or your, you know, neighborhood bodega. And that's really kind of the world that we want to help build. And then just really kind of, you know, also help kind of like this new kind of category of folks like food influencers or celebrities, which I know you've covered a lot, Matt. Right. Where like if we can make the cost of producing food like pretty close to zero and we can run out capacity for extremely cheap, like you can just imagine a world where like, you know, any culinary student, you know, food influencer or like amateur chef could like start and run their, 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 their food brand like from their own apartment. Like you could like develop recipes on your own computer. You could taste test them at like one of our make lines. And then like once you've dialed in that recipe or that menu, you could then just scale it across the country with like DoorDash or Uber Eats. So that's kind of the world that we're, we're thinking about at Hyphen. And that's like what we're ex- really excited to build. That's yeah. I mean, that's what's really gotten me excited about what you're doing, you know, just beyond. I mean, like the, the, the economic side of things and where, you know, like you said, the marginal cost of production trending towards zero, like Moore's Law will enable yep. a new generation of creators that who weren't culinary experts who could even do some sort of like whizzy wig editor. You know, we've talked exactly. about like the square space of virtual brands. I think V V1, like the first it, the first signs of this were like, okay, we can, you know, utilize this elastic network of kitchens, whether they be like dedicated ghost kitchens or like, you know, virtual brands from existing kitchens, right? Like with Ordermark and Xbyte are doing. But like now the problem with that is like there's incremental labor costs or, you know, you still have the physical constraints of making food, right? If we go even further upstream with Hyphen, 
we're now actually talking about food is becoming software. And I'm seeing this trend play out with other categories like the beverage space where, you know, David Freeberg from the production board just launched this startup called Kena, which is basically a molecular beverage printer, which is like the replicator. That's so and cool. they're creating a, like a marketplace. I just got a demo of it and he's actually coming on the podcast soon. Not David, but the CEO nice. of Kena. And you can print a iced coffee, a juice, or like a cocktail or a seltzer or an electrolyte drink using 150 compounds in a, in a cartridge and a, a marketplace where it's basically charging, just like Hyphen's charging a variable cost per per dish, like they're basically giving you the cartridge for free. You pay for the a one-time fee for the hardware. And then every time you pour yourself a drink, it's like, you know, anywhere from like 30 cents to like $2, $3 for a cocktail, right? So you like literally just yeah. turned the entire like landscape on its head because like you don't need to be like a CPG company to like come up with a recipe that works. Like if you wanted to come up with like, you know, Steven's own carrot juice or whatever you wanted to come up with, like, I don't know why I said carrot juice, but um, <laughs> you know, like you come up with your own seltzer, you can come up with your own white claw. Influencers can come sure. up with their own white claw. We'll, we'll see so much creativity and it's this long tail, right? But um, that's what's yeah. interesting. And then I'm, I got this glucose monitor on my arm, right? So I'm just, curious about my own nutrition but at some point that will become mainstream right like apple puts a glucose yeah. monitor in the in the watch and now we can really tailor like specifically like how much of an ingredient you should be having or you know literally down to like that like the particle size right with with a system like hyphen right so then like the possibilities become endless because you just have like all these, you have your set of inputs, but like so many permutations and outcomes that are tailored to people's yes. preferences and their health and dietary needs. Yeah, I mean, that that's exactly right. Like we have, as you know, like a recipe developer, right? Like we, we can already make recipes on our KDS, which is our kitchen display system, which you, you know about, this has been around forever, but ours is like a WYSIWYG, right? It's very easy to do. But I, I think like really our core IP is is kind of what you touched on, even with Ono Food Co. Really, we always had this approach that like, we wanted our process windows to be really agnostic to the food type when we dispense and plate and kind of present food. We started with smoothies because of regulatory reasons. It's, it's much easier to get approved in LA County, at least if you don't have, you know, grease or meat. Um, so that's why we want smoothies <laughs> and, and material handling reasons. But basically, because we have so many ingredients kind of feeding through our system, basically, you know, we can basically start to understand every material property, right? Like, it's very hard to do early on. And a lot of companies kind of cheat by like, pre-dicing their food so it feeds better with automation or they actually like powder it to feed better in some ways but we've always been like you know that's blasphemous for any chef we're never going to do that and while it was really hard to start like we understand the fluidity characteristics kind of the elasticity of food we can understand all these different permutations you know and they'll change by the way whether it's like you know prep differently cut differently if it's sourced differently it's not like fixed materials like plastic or metal there's just a lot of permutations but we can basically start cataloging that recipe data and there is a world where you could start recommending recipes like netflix does with tv shows right like once we have all that ingredient data you pair that with a customer's you know order volume or customer performance data you can start kind of like coming up with very creative dishes kind of based on you know unique attributes of that customer that mm. segment yeah i can't wait for that future i i want to hear <laughs> a little bit more about like you know the uh, um how you plan on kind of adapting hyphen to more categories so like today it maybe it's like just salads 
and those kinds of customers who are doing, you know, fairly straightforward bowls. But then, you know, we've talked about burritos and tacos, which is obviously unlocks a, a much yeah. wider TAM. But like, talk to us about like how that kind of addressable market grows and, and kind of where like the edge is as far as what you're able to kind of execute here with a make line that you have today. Yeah. So today our, our Goldilocks zone is like really any restaurant chain or virtual brand that does an AUV of about 1.5 million. Uh, AUV is like effectively like revenue per store. You, you know this, it's technically annual unit volume. And then they have about 10 to 100 units, right? And they, they're serving primarily boulder plates. That said, we signed a co-packer that does like five to 15,000 salads and a pretty large caterer. But once we have 30,000 systems deployed and it can really be with the customers we have today, although we have about 100 qualified brands in our pipeline, that's about a 3 billion ARR, right? And then you, you kind of factor in, you know, Mexican, and when you can get, you know, burritos and tacos or sandwiches, you know, and that grows to like 10 billion, right? When you have about uh, 100,000 systems deployed, roughly speaking. And again, because our feeders are agnostic to the food type, you know, when we're going into new food categories, like, you know, burritos or tacos or even sandwiches, all we're swapping out is the fill positioner, the thing that traverses the bowl down the line to handle, you know, a, a, a pan to, to put a tortilla on or, you know, a special taco holder but the actual feeders don't change, right? Like that's still doing the same thing. And then maybe the processing module changes, right? Like if you wanted to go from mixing and tossing the salad to like wrapping and the rolling a burrito, that might change, but nothing else is changing. And, and I don't even think you need to do that, right? There's enough savings offset by just, you know, really automating the production of food in the tortilla or taco that you could actually have somebody at the end of the line, wrap that burrito, package that burrito and do the same mm. with tacos. So that's kind of what we think there. The actual TAM is, I don't know, a lot. It's, easily a hundred billion, like, right. Like adjacent lines of businesses beyond just food, like, you know, large corporate and college caterers, you know, even like prisons, militaries, K through 12 education. There's just a lot of, you know, adjacent lines of business meal kits, right. We're, we're already having conversations with those folks, ghost kitchen. So it's a, it's a pretty, pretty long list of potential opportunity. Yeah. The ghost kitchen opportunity, I think is pretty big. If you think about like we were talking about, like all these different Every everyone who's operating a brand, unless you're Chick Fil A, you need to have it like like two or three brands in a ghost kitchen to get to the break even point where you can actually, yep. you know, pay your rent and your labor and your food costs and everything. Are there any interesting like visions you have there as far as like what that looks like as far as like mobile kitchens, ghost kitchens combined with this, like what that will, will really unlock. Yeah, it, it really depends on, on kind of the customer's needs. You know, a lot of folks don't need ghost kitchens anymore because they can do what they used to do in a ghost kitchen with our make line without taking up any, you know, additional um, square footage within the restaurant. So that that saves a lot, right? But if you want to have just like a broader footprint or just a broader reach to, to your customers, ghost kitchens do start to make sense. It's like micro fulfillment centers. So, you know, there's a world where, you know, we open those up too, right? And, and we start running out capacity there. And it's almost like a digital food court, right? Where you can get Mexican food if you're hungry for that and your, your wife or, you know, partner could get a salad or, you know, a burger if they wanted that. So you can kind of start to kind of see the world where, you know, you can almost, it starts to really make sense to actually have, you know, these distributed kind of, you know, ghost kitchens or pickup centers kind of across the US. But I, I think just like, if you just are looking at a ghost kitchen for the sake of a ghost kitchen, because you think it's going to be cheaper, like I just say, like, use one of our make lines and like, you'll save a, a you know, yourself a, a big headache and, and a lot of money. Very interesting. I, I definitely want to dive into, you know, we were talking about like going into these new categories. You have some people who are already on the board 
that and who are investors who come from top brands. We have Donald Moore from Cheesecake Factory. We have investors from ANC, which is a, a franchise, one of the largest franchisees of Taco Bell, if I'm not mistaken. And you got Mark Rowan from Apollo. I guess talk about like some of the larger investors and like what they bring to the table as far as those relationships and, and, and also talk about, you know, the very impressive team that you have that comes from some of the top tech companies uh, in Silicon Valley and as well as restaurants. Yeah, I'll, maybe I'll start with the team first. Uh, so I kind of touched on this, but, you know, when we really started Hyphen, we, we, we knew we didn't want to be like techies parachuting down from Silicon Valley, like prescribing solutions. Like we both wanted to not only, you know, build with empathy, but also sell with empathy. So, you know, we have a lot of, again, people on the team from the food service world. Uh, our manufacturing team, though, is mostly SpaceX folks. So we're, we're building out our factory right now um, next to Hawthorne, where Joey, our VP of Ops, helped build uh, SpaceX's plant with, with Elon. And then, you know, a lot of folks like uh, Chris, who is the director of planning, for the uh, Raptor division at Starship. So that's a rocket engine, uh, the biggest uh, spaceship mm. uh, SpaceX has. And then we just have, you know, a product team and automation team that is a mix of people from like Sweetgreen, Uber Eats, Apple, Sonos, you know, kind of your traditional product companies. And then, you know, a lot of industrial food service automation at like Taylor Farms and Salinas to uh, Blomber Chocolate, this large chocolate manufacturing plant in, in, in Fremont, California. So just a good mix of both, you know, industry experience as well as just like best in class product is really really kind of around the table. On the investor side, it's, you know, it really kind of depended on like when we were raising the capital, like uh, pre-seed, we really focused on like frontier techs, uh, tech investors. I, I don't really know what frontier means, but, you know, people that invest in hardware, right? Just because they better understood kind of the time horizons associated with our business. And then, you know, the seed round that we raised during the pandemic uh, with Mark Rowan from, from Apollo, that was kind of all the people that you already mentioned. And then of course, you know, we raised from Tiger Global earlier this year, um, so he came on, they came on board as well as um, Steve Ferdet, as you mentioned, the uh, the co-founder of uh, Toast and a number of other people kind of in the food category, whether that was um, the execs from Postmates or, you know, actually the co-founders of Uber Eats who actually like incubated Uber Eats back in 2014 when they had like meals in the back of, you know, uh, cars trunks. So we just mm-hmm. got a, a good mix of highly strategic, you know, operators kind of in the, in the food world and food tech world. Amazing. Uh, yeah. And I'm very yeah. honored to be part of that list as well. As I yes, disclosed and earlier <laughs> in this episode, um, albeit much smaller than than these guys, but um, that Uber Eats model is fascinating because I've been talking to a lot of people about it. Like, it actually seems like that might be the way of the future to get the unit economics to work. Because if you think about, yeah. you know, batching all that stuff and you know running around the city, it's like kind of like the Sprig model. It's just funny how like everything old is new again. Um, yeah, just funny. Um, I wanted to also dive into to some of the tech software side that we've kind of touched on a little bit. But, you know, um, when I was first kind of doing my story on you guys last year, um, before the last round, you know, I was like, there's a lot of other startups that are working on problems within the four walls of the restaurant that you've had to kind of piece together some of those some of those products to make hyphen work. So one of those is order aggregation, a la Ordermark and Deliverect, et cetera, Olo. And then the other part is, I don't know, this new like kind of AGOT software, which is like basically yep. using computer vision to make sure that the order is like accurate. Gritsy is also in that space. And then you have kind of more the procurement side, you know, auto replenishment and making sure like 
recipes mapped to inventory, making sure that when the inventory is low, you know, you know how much more of a specific dish you, you can sell. So that's like galley solutions, right? Yeah. Talk to us about like, that's a lot to undertake right there. Like, are you building out like the fully fleshed version of each of these things? Like what, what is that going to look like over time? And like, how intensive is that to actually pull off? It's very intensive, right? We had to do it though to, to, to make our, our, our product work. And it's also kind of worth mentioning that like our enabling technology is the make line. We couldn't do all the software stuff without the make line, right? Just like POS is really the enabling technology for Toast, right? In a lot of ways and how they do all their other products and features. Um, without that order data for Toast, they couldn't do a lot of what they do. And same goes for us, right? So it is a lot, but we, we had to be able to take delivery orders. So it turned out we had to, you know, basically build our own uh, equivalent of order mark, right? Just to be able to do that, you know, and, and, and that also handles drive through now as well. And then we, you know, we, we had to basically understand our ingredient data because our system is instrumented. So that's like very easy to kind of, you know, um, help in other ways. And, you know, I kind of touched on the food prep scheduler and the backsplash display, but because we, we know basically your bill of materials or your recipe, you know, for your meal, like we actually know, like, what you're actually going through in terms of food and what you're actually wasting. And we can actually nudge, you know, management when they should basically order their next inventory next from, you know, a U.S. Foods or our Charlie Produce. Like we, we can kind of like nudge them. In the future, you can imagine a world where like maybe we connect to their, you know, Cisco's API and they kind of can just see and discover, you know, all the different prices across, you know, all the different types of distributors kind of based through our, our, our platform, our operating system. Um, that that kitchen operators use to kind of operate the uh, the equipment as well as you know really make the the staff more efficient within the four walls. Mm-hmm. So I I mean we're. Did I answer your question? You know, <laughs> I, yeah. yeah, totally. And I think like underneath hyphen, you know, hyphen is really just kind of like it is like a suite of tools, right? There's all these yep. other products, right? You had KDS, you have the MakeLine. What are the other products that you have today? And then like. Where do you think see this going as far as like rounding out this whole suite? Yeah, I, I think it, it starts to look like, you know, a system record for the kitchen, right? Like Rippling does actually for like, you know, employee management, right? So we also have a KMS, which is the kitchen management system. And, and that's uh, already, you know, something that exists today, but we needed that to basically, you know, effectively do it like a planogram for lack of a better term for the make line. They typically do that in PowerPoint today. <laughs> Most companies do, or they use like some version of Excel. Uh, I feel like every startup's competing with Microsoft on some level. And today they can do that through a KMS. Uh, and, 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 and again, that kind of goes into other categories and other things. And that helps again with, with the, the ordering of ingredients. It also helps with just kind of like um, rolling out new menus, right? You can do like over the air updates like Tesla does, you know, with their software updates. And, and that's pretty laborious uh, as well, right? Because that's usually in a Google sheet. They have to kind of build out the line. It's called a line build kind of based on that planogram or what, whatever that sheet says for the new seasonal menu. And with us, it's just you do that one time on our KMS and then push a button and it goes to your entire fleet of systems. So there's a lot of little kind of like non-obvious features and products we kind of built out because we had to. And it just turns out it's a much better solution than, than what exists today. So like in the future, like, you know, if we can be the system of record for food, which we already are, we can also be the system of record for labor, right? Because we have vision systems that can kind of track really the labor per meal, right? We can actually know the cost per meal to a granular level and kind of better understand like what in 
ingredients do do uh, you know staff trip up on the most, or what's actually being portioned accurately, right? We can actually do that with Vision as well. We haven't built out that entirely yet, but that's something that we plan on doing in the future. So you can kind of start to see like if we're the system record for labor and and food, well, it also makes sense that we'd be the system record for order data as well, right? Because we already know that it's coming in through our K- KDS, whether that's from you know Toast or you know DoorDash. We can just aggregate all that information into one simple place. Fascinating. It's like you're really like kind of measuring and putting real hard numbers to things that were were not really historically able to be measured in, in within the four walls. Or is it something that like why why wasn't that able to be measured before? Is it just like you just don't have yeah. like the transparency into what's happening, or like because there's like no sensors? Yeah, it's not it's not closed loop, right? Like all data for the most part is polluted. It's it's maybe directional at best, right? But because like again, the order data, we we track ingredients down to the gram, you know, not particle yet, <laughs> you know, not a micron yet, but we can get down to the gram. So that's just better insights. And then on the on the labor side, we're closing the loop. Like, you know, we have kind of a digital workflow like a, you know, um deputy has or some of these kind of like labor management solutions have but we actually know if it actually got done right we know that people click the button like a thousand times they do that with the bump bar they do that with you know pretty much anything put in front of them with 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 the closed loop performance you actually know what got done and there's also tracking and traceability so you actually knew know who did that and you know who you need to coach next or you know who you you might need to let go because they're not performing well got it um I mean, this is this is all so fascinating. So, as we kind of come up on on our time here, I, I wanted to like kind of maybe put a finger to the wind and see like what what your thoughts are as far as like some of your customers are, you know, fast casual brands that are very much reliant on like this kind of modern day worker that we would talk about that like kind of um, persona of like the busy worker that's like coming out of their office and like placing the pickup order while they're like walking. And then they like get it and then they go back to work and they go on Zoom and they do their meeting and whatever. Now that like things are changing, we're moving to the four hour work week, you know, or the four, four, <laughs> four day work week or whatever the, whatever the hell it is. <laughs> I mean, that's just crazy. But like, w- you know, wh- where do you see this like post pandemic trends going as far as like off prem, on prem? Wh- how do you see these like different personas of like diners within the f- restaurant and like, how are you seeing these conversations evolve with your pipeline and the existing customers that you you're signed up with? And yeah, like what does that look like over the next, I'll call it five years. It's hard to predict, I think beyond that, but like, where do we come out of this? Assuming that like we're coming out of it right now. Yeah, it's a great question. And I kind of touched on it, right? Like about the bifurcation between like fine dining and, and kind of fast casual and pretty much everything else. It's kind of like a barbell, right? You got fine dining and then kind of everything else. Anything that can't fit in one of those, you know, buckets will probably just, you know, be hollowed out and, and it won't really matter, you know, down the road. And so, you know, that's like, broadly speaking, where most of our customers are, they're mostly, you know, fast casual brands or ghost, you know, uh, virtual brands rather. Uh, you know, we have a co-packer, like I mentioned, and, and a, a caterer that does, you know, millions of meals for college and corporate uh, campuses across the, across the country. Um, but, you know, in the future, yeah, it's it's really kind of the food being personal, right? You have kind of this cottage industry of, of you know, hyper-personalized brands kind of catered to a very niche audience. You also might have brands that, you know, wanted to do what Ono Fuco did, where you can dynamically price meals kind of based on where you're located, right? And mm. so you can charge some, some you know, a customer something 
different than you would in, you know, Santa Monica versus like Inglewood or Fremont, right? And you can kind of like do that because you're on wheels and the thing is automated, right? And so I, I really get excited about, you know, the future of, of that as well, because that was really our first mission, right? Was just really trying to make healthy and mm-hmm. delicious food, like accessible to everyone. And, and that's the future that I don't know what that looks like, but that's a theme that I think will continue to play out as well as just these, you know, CPG like brands um, for food service, you know, whether that's a virtual brand or, or something else. Yeah, super exciting. And I think like these are like the picks and shovels that will help define yeah. kind of like the next generation of food and super excited, you know, just as you are like to see what people come up with. I, I think, uh, you know, the possibilities are endless. The more tools that we can provide, the more modulars, the more modular systems, you know, that they can add in, the more dynamic we can make the pricing and, you know, the, and lower kind of the upfront cost of like getting started, right. That, that we've seen that time and again with, other industries and entrepreneurship and innovation. Like that's basically where this is going in food. Yeah. It just kind of reminded me of something which is like, you know, it's just been fun to watch like, you know, all the folks on TikTok, like, you know, trying out different things and, you know, Mr. <laughs> Beast, like if you have the demand on TikTok or Instagram, yeah, you can imagine just flipping a switch overnight and unlike Mr. Beast, getting you know, high quality food that's consistent across, you know, kind of the country. Totally. And so, you know, it just makes like, you know, reaching out to that new demographic really interesting where like TikTok almost becomes like QVC meets like the Food Network or something. I, I don't know. Like, I, I'm just kind of watching from afar right now. Very curious to see, uh, you know, how this all evolves. Totally. Content and commerce, as I as I say, it's uh, it's a fascinating intersection right there. Um, if people, let's just say there's... Uh, people out there listening that definitely probably want to work for you um, who are like <laughs> engineers, how do they get in touch? And then restaurateurs, how do they get in touch? And then consumers, when are we going to be able to start to see what this looks like? When can we expect to see see some something live in the store somewhere? Tell us how they can get involved uh, from those three different angles. Yeah. So the, yeah, the first one is like, you know, most of our customers, you know, um, are back of house, at least the first few deployments. So we'll be in, um, you know, uh, LA, San Francisco and New York by, by year end. Uh, and then we'll be in Seattle and Phoenix, um, shortly thereafter. So if you're one of those customers ordering from, you know, a bowl or salad chain, it's likely made by a robot, even if you didn't see it. Um, there's a few customers, I can't say who they are that will have it front of house, you know, and, and that will be interesting to announce, you know, d- d- down the road. If anybody wants to get a hold of me, you know, they can shoot me a note at steven at use-hyphen.com. Uh, if you're, you know, smart, kind, and passionate about, you know, the restaurant industry and, and actually want to make a real impact, there's uh, a lot of job openings right now on our website, use-hyphen.com. And if you're a prospective customer, you know, shoot me a note. Again, steven at use-hyphen.com. We have like 300 reservations. So we're kind of like booked for capacity for the next few years, but we'll be taking new reservations uh, within the next, you know, six to 12 months or so. Amazing. Uh, wow, yeah. that's, that's, that's insane. So yeah, looking forward just to trying it myself very soon. And uh, thanks so much for coming on board and, and talking about the future with us. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please hit subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. And if you're curious to get a firsthand look at the cutting edge of food and tech, check out Hungry.tv. That's Hungry with No You, where you can join in on live conversations like these or sign up for the free weekly newsletter. 